Good evening. If you want to leave your Bible open there to Revelation chapter 2, I will meet you there in just a moment. You've maybe heard the story about the uh, young businessman who wanted to make, of course, a successful business. And so what he did was he rented a piece of property and he went and set up his shop there and decorated it very nicely and very stylishly so that there would be uh, it would be attractive for the customers. And of course, going, getting started out as this businessman, business was a little bit slow. And so, um, you know, he waited and waited and waited for customers to come in. And one day, finally, he saw a man coming into his lobby and not wanting to look like he was just sitting there doing nothing, he picked up the phone and said, um, yes, I've got this multi-million dollar deal that's going, and I've got a lot of things that are in the fire, and, and uh, yes, we're boasting uh, record profits, and we've got huge margins, and, and we're, uh, things couldn't be better. And as he hung up the phone, the man walked up to the desk, and he said, yes, can I help you? He said, well, I'm here to hook up the phone. <laughs> Sometimes you can't tell what's going on underneath the surface. Sometimes we can give the illusion of success and uh, things being very put together when underneath the surface there may be a very different story. I'm going to show you the picture of three different congregations or three different buildings, let me say like that, for which congregations meet in. And I want you to look under the surface and I want you to tell me which ones are successful. Congregation A, we'll call it, doesn't meet on this continent. They meet in a little mud and brick building, mud and stick building, and those pews are as hard as they look, and they will meet often for an hour and a half to two hours at a time, not including Bible class. And this congregation maybe has eight to ten members, but as they come together, they worship to God faithfully, and their average contribution is about a dollar every week. Congregation B meets in the States, meets in a building that you might pass in any small town in Texas, and Congregation B comprises about 50 to 60 members, some older, a lot of them older. And what you'll notice is, is that Congregation B, these people love each other dearly. They will worship faithfully, and their average contribution from week to week is about $1,000. That's Congregation B. If you were to look at Congregation C, you would see a beautiful facility. You would see a multi-million dollar uh, uh, facility. And you would see that every single week they post a contribution of about $25,000 a week. And Congregation C has about 800 members that will meet together on Sunday morning for worship. Now I ask you, out of Congregation A, B, and C, which one is successful? You see the point I'm driving at. You can't necessarily tell based upon what you see just on the outward circumstances, can you? It takes a view from God's perspective to say, what does a faithful congregation look like? We are talking this evening about being faithful till death. And I've asked you to open your Bible to the book of Revelation. If you'll notice in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, as Jesus has some things to say to these congregations, he gives who he is to John and he shows again his glorified state there in, John, in Revelation chapter 1. It's an ethos. It's here's the authority of the one who's speaking these messages. But before the actual revelation starts in chapter 4, Jesus has some things, seven messages to seven different congregations in uh, Asia Minor there in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And brothers and sisters, I want you to notice first and foremost, the same conclusion that you and I just gave, uh, came to is the same conclusion that uh, we might come to about any one of these churches. The ones that we might commend to say these churches really have it all put together and they have everything going for them 
To be honest, those were the exact congregations Jesus said you need to repent. You've got some things that you absolutely need to change. Take a look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. Here is the church of Sardis. And note what Jesus says to them in the Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, the angel of the church of Sardis write these things. He says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. We can look at the surface and say, that's a living church. That's a church that's going places. That's a church that's got it all put together. And Jesus says, I know that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're a dead church. You take a look further down in Revelation chapter 3 and you begin to say, verse 17, here's lukewarm Laodicea, as it's sometimes alliteratively called. Alliteratively called. Jesus says, verse 17, because you say, I'm rich, I become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And Jesus says, from my perspective, you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Here's a church that would boast and say, listen, we've got all this wealth. We've got everything that we need. We're all put together. Look at us. And Jesus says, you're lukewarm. He says, you're poor and you're wretched and miserable and blind. Brothers and sisters, it causes me personally to say, what would Jesus say to the church of Graver Road? What would Jesus say to any one of the congregations that might meet here on the United States of America? What would he say to us? Here's the question I want to consider this evening. What if we made the church at Smyrna, the, uh, the, uh, the words of Jesus as, he just, uh, as James just read for us just a moment ago. What if we made the church at Smyrna and said, this is going to be our gold standard of success. This is what we want to, more than anything else. We want the commendation of Jesus Christ to say, I appreciate what you're doing. You're holding fast in hard and difficult circumstances. You're continuing on spreading the gospel and doing everything that you need to do. What if Revelation 2 verses 8 through 10, what if verse 10 were our standard of success? Be faithful till death and I will give you the crown of life. Note just what these four words indicate. Be faithful. Brothers and sisters, that's about a lifestyle. That's about obedience. You see, we're not interested in just making members and just making converts and then watching them go out the door and not caring anymore because, well, they, we converted them and that's it. We're interested in people being faithful and having a right relationship with God and having a right walk with Jesus Christ and having a right manner of Christian growth and practice. Be faithful. Be faithful till. That points to something, doesn't it? Here is a destination that's involved. I'm going to continue this walk and continue this journey as long as my life takes me because the destination of that is death. Question, what point can we say, you know what, it's not important for you to be a Christian anymore? At what point can we say, you know what, you've done enough? You've done a whole lot of great works. You've done a whole lot of great things. Therefore, you can just call it quits as a Christian. Jesus says, my standard of success is you be faithful until death. There is the real standard of success. And brothers and sisters, can I note one more thing before we jump into the bulk of this lesson? Two out of seven of these churches are not commanded to repent. That tells me out of seven churches, five of them have something that they need to change and things that they're commanded by Jesus to, to alter and to amend in their lives and amend in their practice. And it's interesting to me to note that those two that aren't called to repent are churches that Jesus says are about to suffer great persecution. 
and difficulty. Can I tell you something? When I read these verses here about the church in Smyrna, I don't get the picture that this is a congregation that's meeting in a beautiful building and they're 800 or 900 strong. What I get the picture of is that they're a congregation of maybe 15, 20 people. What is that? Because as Jesus talks about the persecution that they're about to undergo and the fact that the devil is going to take some of them and throw them into prison, you know what? There's not a lot of people to endure things like that for the cause of Christ, are there? When your rubber meets the road and you're called to stand and give uh, fast uh, uh, faith for your, uh, excuse me, give, give uh, feet to your faith, as it said, there's not a whole lot of people that would be willing to do that. When you talk about Jesus mentioning, know your poverty, you know what? There's not a lot of people that would want to take the poverty and say, you know what? That's a great thing. That's something that we, that we can that we can glory in. The fact not not that we're not rich with the world's goods. There's not a whole lot of people that would be willing to suffer those things. But if we chose to take the saying, be faithful until death, and said, you know what, that's going to be our mission for the church at Graber Road. That's going to be mission for the elders to say, you know what, the shepherds are the souls that we shepherd as the, uh, as the overseers. We're going to encourage as much as possible in each individual Christian, no matter if we've got 3,000 members, no matter if we've got 250 members, no matter if we've got 10 members, whatever we've got, we're going to take and we're going to make sure that these people are faithful until death. What if we made that the standard of success? I believe there are four attitudes that would come out based upon us having that perspective. And you can read them all there uh, given for you, Revelation chapter, eight, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Number one, I think it is that if we had that attitude, we would trust Jesus more. We would trust Jesus more. Look at what he says, verse 8. These things says the first and the last. If you're into marking your Bible, you may mark that that is the third time that Jesus has described, just in two chapters, himself as the first and the last. The first one is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11 as he shows himself to John. The second time after John falls down as a dead man uh, and, and Jesus lays his hand on him and says, don't be afraid. Note, I am the first and the last. And in fact, he's going to describe himself one more time. Lies the first and the last. Believe it or not, in the last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 13. So it's bookended. Jesus is, in the book of Revelation, the first and the last. What's the point? These things, says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. Jesus says, I, Smyrna, I want you to get the point. Before I write to you these difficult things that you're about to undergo, I want you to know that I am the eternal one. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians chapter 1, or and, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. He is the creator. He was in the beginning with God, John chapter 1 and verse 1. He is the one that is the creative force, the creative power in this world and everything in it. And what Jesus wants them to know is, I am the beginning, I am the end. I own both of those. I am those things. You ever think about when you're going through a difficult time, when it is that life has got you down, acknowledging God as the sovereign, as the creator in your prayers, what a difference that would make. Instead of just making supplication, spending some time and reflecting on God as the creator, as the sovereign in our lives. 
Wouldn't that make a difference in our prayers? No matter how big of a problem it is that you face and I face, no matter how big of a problem it is that comes across our desk, it is that we know that our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there is nothing our God cannot do. No matter what the problems, what about death? Well, that's a pretty serious problem. But note how Jesus describes himself there in verse 8. He says, even death. I was dead, but now I am alive. I can overcome that. In fact, in John chapter 11, as he speaks to uh, uh, two very broken-hearted sisters, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 11, verse 25. You know, what about the difficult challenges we face as a congregation? What about when people are called to say, you know what? We're just not attracting people the way we ought to. We're not attracting people the way that we used to. It is that back in the 50s, you could hold a house meeting and have that house meeting go for, for almost two weeks. Where it was that there would be people that were crowding together and trying to hear the gospel. Instead, what people have done is said, well, we're not doing that effectively, so maybe what we ought to do is change what we're doing. And maybe we should change the requirements for being a disciple. Maybe we should change the way that we worship and add in all these extra things that God hasn't commanded. Brothers and sisters, it's not by changing what God has said. It's by submitting ourselves and acknowledging him that he's going to give the increase when we walk by faith. Be faithful till death. When we talk about things like Christian evidences even, you know, there were... Many years ago, there wasn't any kind of any controversy about God creating the world in six literal 24-hour days and then resting on the seventh. But because some people have got it in their minds, well, we've got to make ourselves a little bit more palatable culture. Maybe what we should do is talk about God using the process of evolution to create the world in six literal days, which were really eons of time. And so it is that, you know, a day is a thousand years with the Lord, and so therefore we can make this, this jump and talk about theistic evolution. Brothers and sisters, it's not by that. It's by trusting in what God has said. It's by doing what God has said, being faithful until death. And we wouldn't be afraid if we trusted Jesus more to say, thus saith the Lord, this is how God wants us to worship. Thus saith the Lord, this is how God wants us to make disciples. Thus saith the Lord, this is how God wants us to conduct our lives. And realizing that's God's standard of success. Do we believe what he says? Do we obey what he says? Be faithful until death. I believe attitude number two that would reveal itself. Found in verse nine. We would long for God's perspective of things. We would long for God's perspective of things. I know your works, Jesus says. Tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blaspheme of those who are, say they're Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You know, those three congregations I showed you pictures of just a moment ago. If we were just to look at the buildings, we'd say, yeah, that third one, that's, that's the one that's most successful. And we would want to assess, uh, assess those things, or we sometimes want to just do that on surface level. But brothers and sisters, how we need to have God's perspective when we look at congregations. It doesn't matter what we think is a successful, growing church. Verse 9 tells us there are things that are much different than the way they appear to the world. Note what Jesus says, Smyrna, you are successful. You're being faithful. But know what they have. Three words that describe it. Trials, difficulties, poverty. He says, but you're rich. You know what? He's describing the fact that they're poor because they're Christians. Back in the first century, 
there were in the Roman Empire, as uh, persecution began to be ramped up against Christians, there were trade guilds that began to say, you know what, unless it is that you acknowledge Caesar as Lord, you can't trade, you can't buy and sell with us anymore. And so Christians, because they can only acknowledge one Lord, that is Jesus Christ, they were blacklisted in a way. And so it is that you talk about Christianity being a detriment, literally, to your livelihood, and these people experienced it. And Jesus says, listen, I know your tribulation, I know your difficulty, I know your poverty. They've lost their jobs. And there's not many people that would want that as a part of knowing Christ and a part of being a Christian. You know what the world might say about the church at Smyrna? You know, you guys are kind of pathetic. You guys, what's wrong with you? Why is it that you're still holding this? Don't you realize we're looking at you and we're saying, look at what they're undergoing. They're undergoing this persecution, this difficulty, and this poverty. What's wrong with you? It's pathetic. It's hard to look at. I don't want to look at that. But Jesus says, I've got a different perspective. Note in parentheses here in the New King James, it says, but you're rich. What were they rich in? We could say they were rich in faith. James chapter 2 and verse 5, Has God not, God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? They were rich in good works like 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 18 talks about. You know what? That's talking about the rich being rich in good works and being willing to share and, and give to those who are in need. And this congregation had obviously done that. Jesus says, I see with my perspective that you are a congregation that is rich. But note also, verse 9, they've got these people that are persecuting them. And Jesus says they are blaspheming. And they say that they're Jews, but they are not. Here's some Jews that are persecuting this church. And Jesus says, you know what? They claim to be an assembly of Jews, he said, but they're not an assembly. They're not a synagogue. That's a word. Uh, they're not a synagogue of Jews. You know, he warned about this in John 16, verse 2. He said, apostles, you need to be careful because there's going to come a time when those people that kill you are going to th be thinking that they're doing God a service. But Jesus says, from my perspective, this synagogue of Jews who think that they're pleasing God, they're not pleasing him at all. They are an assembly of Satan. You know, last I checked around in Houston area, there's not too many assemblies of Jews, are there? There's not too many congregations of Jews that are, uh, that are meeting regularly. But you know what? As far as the principle goes, just because a group looks religious doesn't mean that it's an assembly that belongs to God. You see it there in verse 9? Just because a group looks religious does not necessarily mean that it is an assembly that's pleasing and devoted to God the way God wants just because they may be assembling and singing songs of praise and worshiping doesn't mean that God is accepting that. You know, one man said, and I believe it's absolutely true, and it absolutely goes along with the sermon that we gave this morning, you cannot get to heaven in a church that was built by a man. You cannot get to heaven in a church that was built by a man. How we need to long for God's perspective on things and see things the way that God sees them as he's looking at faithful Smyrna, as he's looking at these Christians who are suffering these difficult things. Christ says, you be faithful till death. You hold on to what you got. Note this, number three. We would trust in God's grace more. If we really had being faithful till death as our mission statement of who it is that we want to be, we would absolutely trust God's grace more. 
Yeah, sometimes it is that, especially on social media. I don't know why it is that that's a uh, um, you know a, a magnet for these type of posts. But you'll see somebody holding on to a baby, and you know what they'll do is they'll put hashtag blessed. You'll see people that are surrounded by family, and they'll put hashtag blessed. I am so blessed. I'm so blessed because I have those things. And I would say, yeah, that's true. You know what I've never seen on social media? Somebody who's laying in a hospital bed, dying of cancer, and somebody takes a picture of that person and posts it on social media and says, hashtag blessed. Never seen that. We think sometimes that God's grace is only present when we are comfortable when we are free from difficulty, and when we are free from any kind of persecution or tribulation, we say, hashtag blessed. It's a great life. But can I tell you something? When we talk about God's grace, the Bible teaches God's grace is abundant to us. It is available to us, and it is especially difficult and needed when times are beating us up and pushing us down. Hebrews 4 verse 16 tells us that those times when we can go boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's grace is present in every single aspect of our lives, not just when we're going through a good time, but when we're trying to do his will. Verse 9, Jesus says, I know you're suffering, Smyrna. I know you're suffering. I know what you're going through. But here's the thing, Smyrna, it's about to get a whole lot worse. It's about to get worse for you, Smyrna. And can you imagine the church at Smyrna praying to God and saying, God, we're doing our best. We're trying to be faithful. Old John over here lost his job last week because he refused to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. God bless John with what he needs. God, we're trying to be faithful as your church. But God, please take away this tribulation from us. And instead of the Lord coming and answering the question and saying, okay, I'll take it away. I'll remove it. You know what the Lord says? It's going to get worse for you before it gets better. I know you're suffering. Instead, he says, do not fear any of those things that you're about to suffer. Brothers and sisters, you want to see God's grace. Isn't it wonderful that God knows the future? Isn't it wonderful that he knows whatever we're about to go through he knows how long it's going to last. He knows that he is a God who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He knows that there is a limit to his suffering. He knows that there is grace in that promise. It's God's grace that allows us to deal with difficult times. You know what? The difficulty that we face sometimes as Christians happens often for our own benefit. That's James chapter 1. My brother counted all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. We know that when we fall into various trials, God's grace is present. God's grace is abundant to us still. You ever thought about how it is that when you go through difficult trials, it's not just for your benefit, but it could be for the benefit of other people? So the people could see how a Christian reacts and how a Christian behaves in the midst of their hardship and difficulty. I mentioned dear sweet sister Pat Bell. Those of you who have gone to visit her and see her, and you know what an indistinguishable, excuse me, uh, inextinguishable spirit that she has. And the fact that she may be experiencing hardship and difficulty and pain, but you know what? Every word that comes out of her mouth is full of God's grace. 
and recognizing of what God has made her. And it's always a joy because you go in expecting to encourage and you leave out more encouraged than the way you came. That's God's grace. And we think about how his grace will be abundant in those circumstances. You know what? But a lot of times the world wants to look at Christians and just laugh at them. And I know it is sometimes in those little bitty congregations, you know, of 5, 10, 15 people. How it is people point and look and maybe uh, chide those members and say, you know what? If God really were blessing you, how come you're so small? If God really were blessing you, why is it that you're not meeting in a larger church house? Why is it that you're not 5,000 strong? You know what the Lord says? You be faithful until death. My grace is abundant in those circumstances and difficulty and persecution. Don't fear any of those things you're about to suffer. The devil's about to throw you into prison. You know what? There's grace in that as well. God's grace is there. Why? Because he says, so that you may be testing. You may be tested and your tribulation is going to last 10 days. Where's God's grace? God's grace is there because if the Lord tells you, your tribulation, your, uh, so your jail time is only going to be 10 days. You know what? There's not a creature in heaven or below that can make that an even a single inch longer, a single moment longer than what the Lord has purposed. He holds it all in his hands. And if the Lord says 10 days, there's nobody in heaven or on earth that can make it 11 days or 12 days or 15 days. The Lord says, this is what I've given you. Whatever trial we're going through won't last a moment longer than for that trial to accomplish what God wants it to do in our lives. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Note, lastly, be faithful. We would long for true victory. If we really made being faithful till death our life statement, our congregational goal, be faithful till death, we would long for true victory. Verse 11, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. That's the Bible's way of saying, listen up. Maybe you're going to sleep. Maybe you're kind of uh, spacing out a little bit. I want you to hear what it is that I want you to say, what I'm going to say to you. Wake up. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Some congregations have it in their mind. You know what? It's all about the building. It's all about expanding and making us a larger campus. You know what a lot of congregations have? It's all about the budget. You know what? We've got to make the budget. And we've got to, uh, to be able to hit it every single time. A lot of congregations, it's about the numbers, about how it is that we can. We need to top 300 this Sunday. We've got to make that our goal. Brothers and sisters, those things can be indicative of some things. But they don't tell the whole story, do they, have we seen? There's a lot of people in a room, or there may be a whole lot of people in the room, but there may be a whole lot of people that are not pleasing God with what they're doing, not being faithful. What good does it do for us as the church to hear if it is that we're not going to make changes in our life and do something about it? Are we any different? But what he's talking about is longing for true victory. We would be more concerned about overcoming so we didn't have to experience the second death. That is a reference to hell. That's a reference to eternal torment. What God's people ought to be about is being obsessed with true victory. Not was the song leader on key, not how cushy are the pews, not how many did we have today. All of those things are external matters. But here's the question, are we really walking faithfully? Are we really avoiding the second death? Am I living a life that's pleasing God? Am I living a life longing for true victory? Jesus says, be faithful till death, and I'll give you a crown of life. What we think of as successful is sometimes far away from what God says is successful. 
What is it that you see that we are demonstrating here at Graber Road that indicates that we're being faithful to God? Here's a better question. What things do you see in areas that you see that we can be better walking more closely with the Lord? Because those are the exact things that we need to begin to change. And we need to begin to change our thinking about. Not changing the manner, not changing the gospel, but changing us in having feet that are swift to put our faith into practice. That's what this is about because we're trying to be consumed with true victory. Jesus says, Graver Road, you be faithful until death. There's no other standard of success to live a faithful life than what we just mentioned with these children just a few moments ago, than live a life that gets me to heaven. You know why we have the possibility of a life that gets me to heaven? It's because we have the sacrifice of Jesus. You know why we have the sacrifice of Jesus? Is because of the love of God. You know why we have the love of God? I don't either. It's because he loves us and he knows that we are his creation and he wants so badly to have a relationship with us. Do you have that relationship this evening? You can through Jesus Christ, through the commandment of the obedience, being obedient to the gospel, that through faith, repentance, and baptism, you can be a child of God this evening. You can be on a life and on a path that Jesus says, I want you to be faithful until death. Maybe it is you've stumbled in living that life. Maybe it is that you've stumbled on that path. Make it right. Don't hear here this evening without making a U-turn in your life and saying, you know what? I see some areas in my life that I need to be more faithful. Maybe with my words, maybe with my thoughts, maybe with where my feet take me, whatever it is. If we can encourage you, if we can pray with you and for you, we'd love to do that. God bless you this week. Let's stand and sing.